and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at austinarttalk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events, and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. Drawing and painting are a way for Valerie Fowler to be in the moment, to relax, and to get into the flow and journey of her art. And she always feels lucky when she's sitting in front of a canvas working away. Early on in her career, her work was more narrative. But with the happiness of starting a family and raising children, her work became more botanically inspired and complex, based on her garden and the nature surrounding her home. With clean and precise edges and colors that pop, she continues to create works that are intensely detailed and beautiful, with layers of meaning beyond the obvious, but definitely understandable. It's not just about the aesthetics, but about her and the stories, memories, feelings, and themes that she hopes to infuse into the work in a deep, honest, and meaningful way. If you're catching this before September 15th, 2018, be sure to check the episode's webpage or go to ValerieFowler.com to get details about her latest project, Art at Flower Hill. Here is Valerie. Well, Valerie, thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to be here in your beautiful studio in South Austin, uh, surrounded by your gorgeous work. And I was actually here for the first time, when was that? West. During West. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And how did that go for you? It went well. I had about the same um, amount of visitors as last year, a little less sales, a little more um, just um, people here for fun. You yeah. Know? But it's good. It's all good. And do you have a, when you have people come visit your studio for an event like that, do you have kind of a little spiel that you give them about yourself or about your work? If they want to know, yeah. yeah, yeah, they'll they'll come up to me and talk to me if they want to know. We had um, an event um, on both weekends that I think in the afternoon where um, we call it a cranky show, and yeah. um, you know that's kind of my little time to uh, introduce myself to a few people and and talk to them about what a cranky is and and answer questions if if they have them. Yeah. yeah, I definitely want to talk about that and yeah. kind of the. Yeah performative aspect of mm-hmm. your career which i think is kind of unique and interesting for mm-hmm. a visual artist well maybe just how would you kind of summarize your work um in a way that might help someone that's not familiar with you just kind of at the mm-hmm. start here um i'd say um my work is botanically inspired um get almost all my ideas from the natural world my main medium is oil i love uh, color and i love um, paint but i do all kinds of pencil drawings and um i have a lot of um, obsessive drawing in in my work i I really enjoy that and obsessive painting a little bit too but um yeah your work is very tight and clean and precise yeah it tends to be i try every once in a while to loosen up and I still go back to being precise but I like edges you know I like how um, colors meet next to each other and how it makes each color pop in different ways and when I draw I like um, the range of dark to light and 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 playing with it and um, and that's just formally uh, that's what I love about drawing yeah yeah. I'm wondering though, when you're looking at a huge canvas and and you're maybe looking at the work you've done before and how detailed it is, do you ever feel daunted by the complexity of it, or 
Are you excited? Or you don't even think about the end. You're I just don't in think the journey. about the end. Yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm excited. Yeah, because, you know, and I never actually know how, how a painting is going to go. I, I start with an idea and really like to um, react to what everything I put down on, on the canvas and keep building on that. So there, there are a whole lot of layers of things that are painted out. I don't sketch out formally at all. I, I just start painting and actually that's not true we're looking right here <laughs> at some, uh, some of my um paintings that i'm starting and i have sketched but they're not like they're just sort of like map making and place holding you yeah know? it's very basic yeah. composition yeah yeah because if the composition doesn't have a strong enough dynamic then i can't really go forward but the drawing itself is is going to go through a lot of different changes the the, the details will just evolve sounds like you might be a master of being in the moment then that's what it sounds like your process is it's probably the only time in my life where i'm i achieved that you okay. know? <laughs> yeah I, I i do yoga and i um ride my bike a lot and that's to help me live in the moment more but painting sort of is like um i i tell my husband a lot that it's like sitting and having a massage i just just go into it and relax and i just yeah, it flows. Wow. Yeah. Nice. It's 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 a it's a really I don't know, but I'm I feel lucky when I get to sit in front of my paintings and paint, you know. Has it always been like that for you as an artist? And I'm just wondering because your parents were both artists. Yeah. So is that where it all begins? It's like you were going to be an artist? Well, yeah, that's certainly where it began for me i was familiar with art i was familiar with that that was something that people did and sometimes got paid for it you know my dad was a fairly successful sculptor and um it was a different era in the 60s but my mom she was an artist too i don't know you know i just always drew i always wanted to be an artist and i no one ever discouraged me or said you can't make a living that way yeah you know so yeah that's where it began but they encouraged you they encouraged me to to draw and to, and to paint yeah yeah always you know and if i had a, a problem of like couldn't figure out how to draw a hand my dad would sit down and draw with me and figure it out you oh, know, yeah. for me you know what kind of work did your mom make she, I guess, was more of a commercial artist, um, if I had to categorize her. Um, she drew fashion um, illustration for um, the local department stores. You know, it's actually where my, where my parents met was Foley's in Houston. Okay. He was the art director and she was a, a staff artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting that you met your husband also at a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a good way to meet people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my job that I met Brian at was at Whole Foods. So yeah, we stocking groceries. Was that the first location? Or? Yep. Okay. Yeah, Tenth of Lamar. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering what kind of an example your parents did set or your dad as far as being an artist when you kind of thought about. You're saying you weren't discouraged from being an artist, and it was maybe a little unsure whether you could make a living, but you mm-hmm. weren't deterred by that. Right. My dad, you know, he's also kind of macho. So it, it was he wasn't always a um, a good role model okay. for me as a woman um, artist, but he never said women can't be artists. So I have to give him that credit. Um, but he made huge, big, monumental metal sculptures, and I drew intimate scenes, you yeah. know, and so it was real different. But and he had a different approach. You know, he thought he would look at my initial drawings for a, a painting and go, oh, it's done, you know, and, you know, go go do the next one. He he was very dismissive of the journey that I would go on with mm. my um, my paintings. But, you know, I, I think he was proud of me. I think everyone wants their kid to, or at least yeah. I, I want my kid to enjoy what I enjoy, you know. Both my kids are artists oh. in their own way. Our son is a musician and our daughter's a visual artist. So so you weren't necessarily deterred, though, by your dad? No. I mean, it seems like you were just, I mean, were you just on a path and that was it? And you just had, you kind of, you picked up your style and in the beginning and you just persisted? Yeah, I think I was, I, I wanted to distinguish myself separately from him. I think that was part of 
why I chose painting. Um, I didn't want to do anything he did. And then I, you know, found my path along the way, you know, trying to be true to what interested me, subject matter and medium, every, you know, just always trying to be honest with myself. What did interest you in the beginning? In the beginning, I painted the figure, the human figure a lot, and um, usually in interiors, um, scenes that were kind of dramatic, kind of psychologically charged. And, you know, I still think maybe someday I'll go back to that. But yeah, the the human form sort of, I, I dropped it out of my paintings after I had kids and I was gardening a lot and I just found a lot more poetry kind of and symbolism in um, the natural world and Mm -hmm. it it just seemed to be a way for me to communicate certain themes without having a human in there that's kind of too limiting I think Mm. but and I'm still working it out it's still a journey (laughs) did you have any notable mentors or kind of experiences in school that were helpful not really Um, I, I did uh, I have one professor I liked, and I can't even remember his name. <laughs> this is so sad. <laughs> um, my, um, it, it's really sad because I went to UT, and there were, I mean, there were really good professors, I guess, but uh, everyone was into um, abstract expressionism mm. at that time in the 80s. I was painting the figure, and I was sort of using off colors, which I still do, um, just kind of shocking, well, relatively shocking colors. And I just didn't get any attention, hardly at all, you mm. know. And I was shy, super shy, so I um, didn't ask for much help. So that's one thing I tell my daughter all the time, go talk to them, ask. And she actually is not shy like me, so she doesn't really need to be told. <laughs> but, um, you know, she's she's powerful, and, and I wasn't, you know, so... So you were almost self-taught in a way. You just kind of stuck to yourself. I do feel a bit like that, yeah. And that's sort of how the rest of my career was. I, I'm isolated a little bit. In the beginning, I think it really helped me with what I f- refer to as just my honesty and trying to find out what, what I wanted to paint and what I wanted to talk about and, and just try to um, figure out my method of communication, you know. Mm-hmm. So, What were some of the themes or ideas that you were exploring in your figurative work and then how did that shift with this kind of like getting married and gardening let's see that i was usually um you know it was like narrative narrative painting i guess because there were there's usually two people in a scene or a relationship yeah yeah psychological stuff and dramatic lighting and you know there are I'm thinking of um, one painting where the other character, uh, it's usually me, you know, or a stand-in for me. I had a female figure um, sitting in a chair, like a easy chair, watching television. I, I, used, I used to put televisions in my work a lot. And behind her, um, some winged creature walks by, you know. Mm. So it's sort of a a scene but I was raised Catholic so in addition to you know putting televisions in my work I I put guardian angels quite often or a reference to them like a wing you know like fluttering past and you know (laughs) it's it's uh it's very specific I guess um and and now my work is a lot more open-ended and um I hope more universal yeah Did you actually have very specific ideas behind those paintings? Or was it just kind of like, I'm drawn to this kind of imagery? Um, Yeah, I think... It's so hard to remember that far back. Oh, my God. I was (laughs) so young. But I do think that there was a lot with the televisions, and I think I put telephones in there, too. A lot of my thinking about um, communications with the outside world and probably having directly to do now that I think of it with me being shy and not Mm. not being able to talk to people much and um, intrusions into my world like... I I remember one painting where um, it's a man and woman in bed. Um, it's a diptych, so the woman's it's a close up of them in bed. A, a woman's head on one side of the diptych, and on the other canvas is the man's head, and they're sort of like in an embrace, but they're divided by the physical break in the yeah. two two canvases. And there's a television. You see the back of the television. You see the telephone and you see car lights. It's like in a motel window and the curtains. Yeah. And so I think it was about 
intrusion and separation. Lack think, of intimacy or something. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the the woman was um, looking at the television <laughs> <laughs> while, while the man was trying to embrace her. Yeah. And, um, so it's about disconnection, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. And miscommunication and stuff like that. Yeah. What was the guardian angel about? Mm, that, I guess, was just me dealing with being a Catholic and growing up a Catholic. I'm no longer a Catholic, really, at all. But we were taught, my sister and I were taught that a guardian angel is always with you, you know. And in the pictures, the guardian angel was right behind you. And so we would, this is a naughty thing we would do when we were really little, we would throw ourselves on our bed and um, assume that the guardian angel is behind us and, and, and say, well, I'm killing my guardian angel. I'm killing <laughs> oh, it's not awful. Yeah. Or like back a chair up suddenly, you yeah. know, and, and, Bump into and, it. And, 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 you know, and cause we, the guardian angel was following us around all the time and, and it was annoying. And so, yeah. so it's, it's just, you know, I don't know why I had to put the guardian angels in my, um, I guess it's it's the theme of the intrusion. Um, you know, there was a, a guardian angel always watching me. You know, mm. and and how rude. You know, and that was. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it was, all my early art was so much about me. I mm. guess me and my relationships and things like that. Maybe I just wanted to not be shy and show who I was. Yeah. More. So it was a little personal. And then what shifted? do you think when you started doing more kind of work about nature i i didn't feel like i had to be so um public you know i mean i wanted to really go for the universal it was just maturity a lot of it you know but also i'm fascinated with nature and i've always been a bit of a um you know um ecology is important to me i mm-hmm. i, I just always, um, I, I love the outdoors, and I'm afraid that, that our Earth is is being ruined, and yeah. you know all those themes. So that's that's part of it for me. Yeah, like a concern for our impact and yeah. how we interact with yeah. nature and how vulnerable it all is. Right. Yeah. And do you, you don't feel like the work is about you anymore as much, or you don't see yourself in the work? Well, I still see myself, but I don't think anyone else would um, guess it. Um, in fact, the series that I'm starting um, next, which I'm jumping around a little bit, but the, I'm starting a series that's um, the, the show is going to be called The Story of the Deer in the Road. I think the deer is still forming, but I think the deer is me, and that's going to be... Um, she's going to appear in all the paintings so it will be a little bit more about me but but i i like nature because i can i use it symbolically and allegorically for for things and you know doesn't always work a lot of it's just exploring you know but they are um when i break them down myself they're about me i guess but but not overtly like they used to be yeah i had read somewhere that you had said that in all your work there's kind of a sense of sadness and wonder at the beauty of things both good and evil yeah 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 well yeah i think the older i get the more i i think about death you know and um yeah as we all do i'm sure but um yeah i think you know in nature i find some of the death the annual death intriguing and i find um the way plants take over things and kill other things or they they can be really polite and then all of a sudden the the one plant will take over another you know there's there's a lot of allegory to that when i think about trees how you know reading about trees and their roots underground how they're all interconnected and they actually now they they know that they actually communicate yeah, with one another it's amazing um that's not evil that's the good communication but then there's trees you know that that shade out other trees and take over and there's death always involved in nature so yeah that sadness but there's no i guess there's no judgment on it it's just everything's existing all. and it's yeah. not yeah. Malevolent or no, no. I guess evil is is um, different because that's um, yeah. That that their nature is not evil. I think humans play that role. Yeah. <laughs> more. And I'm just wondering, as far as the theme of death and this new series you're working on, is it mm-hmm. almost like when you were talking about the deer? It's like 
on the road. It's like mm-hmm. the deer in the headlights yeah. that's about to die, potentially, or it's in the spotlight. It's yeah. frozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about the deer in the headlights, of course. that When I told my son um, what the title of this show is going to be, he said, oh, mom, that's not going to end well. You know? <laughs> Something like that. You know, like he's like, well, everyone knows the deer in the road. You know, that's bad. It's actually from an actual event that I, I saw a deer um, that had just been hit when I was on my way to go see my father who was dying. Um, mm. And uh, it was on the way to Wimberley and I was cresting a hill uh, or heading to the crest of a hill and there was this deer, a female, and she had just been hit and she was trying really hard to get out of the road and all the cars were kind of scrambling around her to let her go. And the sun hit just so that all the blood on the on the road looked just amazingly red and shiny and gelatinous and yeah. you know and it just and it struck me that I better get to my dad's fast and he mm. he hung on a, a few more days but um, that was kind of you know like the first um, idea and I wanted to paint it and I sketched it a long time ago it was years ago. And then I kept seeing deer in other situations, you know, when driving different places and um, they all seemed to be looking at me and mm. identifying with me and maybe warning me. And um, I, so I, I started collecting images of deer sketches and then writing notes about the scenes that I wanted to portray in the next painting. So, so I have a whole bunch of them that I want to do and I'm just starting. Yeah. Yeah. So you really feel like this event where you came across this deer was somehow connected to your dad dying? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, uh, who knows? You know, to me, it it just w- was an odd thing to happen on the way to go sit with your dying dad, you yeah. know. And, and it was a beautiful scene. And I still, you know, remember it so crisply yeah. that um, I, I, I could not notice and make note of it. So... Is that something you would have told him about, or or was were you um, able to even talk to him when you went to see him? Yeah, um, I don't think I did tell him about that, but I, yeah, he was um, pretty much nonverbal at that point. But I was talking to him a lot. Um, but I tried to tell him happy things, yeah, mostly, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I just saw all this blood. All yeah, <laughs> Dad, I think it's Noman. <laughs> so could this series also be about him in some way too? If it's about you. Um, uh, yeah, um, it's now about me, um, but he triggered it just like he triggered me being an artist. Probably, you know, yeah. he's uh, a huge part of my who I am, obviously, and I didn't ever want to admit it. You know, uh-huh. when I was, well, yeah, he's he he was strong and and big and and yeah. uh, successful, and also, um, I, how do I say? I guess. Um, not always a nice person, you know, he was um, probably an alcoholic, I don't, you know, we didn't really ever name it, but he had a horrible temper, he could do a whole lot of good, though, I mean, he was helpful in our community, and really smart, and really, you know, he just had a temper, and um, pressure on him, so, uh, um, and he was, you know, angry a lot, so, I, you know, separating my self from him and finding my own identity i didn't want to be the kind of artist that people make excuses for their flamboyant you know um i didn't i wanted to be a good person first you know and um i don't don't have to be crazy and flamboyant to be an artist you know so he wasn't crazy anyway yeah so you started out as shy, which is kind of the safe route exactly. to getting where you yeah. are. Yeah. Now. yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I, when I was like in my 30s, I remember saying, you know, I, I try to be more like my mom, who's very elegant and kind and um, quiet and reserved and very organized and, you know, sensible. And it, it, it didn't always serve me well. It, you mm. know, it's good for me to take a little bit from my dad's traits because um, he was a good person in many other ways, you know. And so I, I have a little bit of both of them and I've kind of embraced it now. But, it, you know, I'm older. It took me a long time to get to this point where I, I know the value of having them as artists for parents, you know. I can see in how I draw that I, I draw like my dad, you know, oh. and, and it's... 
amazing you know after all these years i can i look at his old drawings and i say wow you know there's a little bit more angularity to his drawings than mine but a lot of the same kind of sinuous lines that and I in use. His, in his sculptures too yeah in his sculptures because he would weld with um welding rods which are thin little rods of of metal and uh, they look like lines you know when they're all combined together and welded mm-hmm. together yeah so yeah i'm wondering then so you get married and you kind of switch to doing this more botanical work and then i'm assuming at some point start having kids like then you're a parent yeah tell me about i guess just maybe tell me about the hard years i mean i know it's probably hasn't always been easy to be an artist you know like Um, in the beginning well i actually started to paint botanically inspired stuff after i had the kids okay the hard part uh i guess was finding time you know after the kids were born but um my husband's an artist a musician and um so we early on decided to to split up the childcare very evenly and um, free each other up for, you know, from 10 to 6, we actually had a schedule 10 to 6 every day. Uh, three days he would be um, on with the kin- kids and I could go to my studio and then vice versa the next three days and then we would have a family day on Sundays. And usually the family day didn't happen because one of us would say, I have to be somewhere, or I have to do this, or, you know, unfortunately that was that was hard to maintain that family day. But um, 10 to 6 was good. And uh, so we didn't work um, every single day on our art, which was, you know, slow going. Mm. for pro- And that was hard. Um, but we got to spend time with our kids. We, you know, and then as soon as they were in kindergarten and we had them closely together so it wasn't but you know five six years that we had to do that intense schedule and then once they were um in school we had a lot more time on our hands and you know went full steam ahead and you know it was hard um a little but you know it's it was just so natural and normal for us to to organize it that way and and you know we all ate dinner together and we had breakfast together and we it was it was great you know so a very simple life mm-hmm. you know but um so. how do they remember it i mean if you guys have had conversations about this <laughs> you know they're 22 and 20 so they're really young and they're um separating in the process of separating from us yeah you know in the way that i think i did from my dad although i hope i didn't traumatize them but (laughs) um they they don't tell us much about their childhood i think that they in a few years they might be able to tell us what they think of it i mean our daughter clearly many times she was um disappointed that you know we weren't providing all all that she wanted you know Mm -hmm. she she's much more um well Anyway, she wanted a cell phone early and we didn't have the money, you know, little things like that. But, um, and our son, he never had a cell phone until he was in, uh, yeah, I guess he was a junior yeah. in high school. And in this day and age, that's just crazy, you know, crazy. I can't believe I put them through that. So that, you know. <laughs> and they uh, still want to be artists, though, even though they know it can be lean. Like yeah, that. yeah, which is is funny. They won't understand that irony, maybe for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what triggered, after they were born, you starting to do this type of work that you do now? I mean, I'm, all, uh, I'm almost wondering, like, if giving birth to a, another human being has some effect on your work. I don't know. I don't know why yeah, that just popped into my I, head. I was just like, with nature and yeah, mortality. And, I don't know. I mean, I, it was certainly a phenomenon in my life. I mean, just to have done that and go through it and be so immersed in, in raising them and they're amazing um feats of nature yeah but um i think it was more because i was gardening a lot and okay. um and actually in the yard with them gardening they would go wherever i was and vice versa and, and so we, <laughs> they were in the yard with me a lot and i got down on the ground with them a lot played with them in the grass a lot i became just you know really um crazy about my yard and my garden and um making it into a beautiful place mm-hmm. for them it was just a little you know city plot but i would plant um vegetables but also um i would find myself just pruning a tree till it looked just so you know mm-hmm. in a way that actually um reminds me of sculpting in fact this one tree i'm thinking about was a pomegranate tree and it was a shaggy bush but I, I sort of formed it into a tree 
and then I painted that that pomegranate many times. Mm. I loved that pomegranate, and um, so you know it all just sort of fed into each other. All the all those the kids being in the yard was just uh, a way for me to be with my garden too. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's all it's all very connected to me. And you just kind of found yourself drawn to the like the the complexity of these plants and yep. their structure yeah. and their color yeah. and their silhouettes. So I love the different shapes of leaves and how you can just identify a plant, you know, by cert- just you know, sometimes you can just look at a stem of a plant and know what it is after a while because you've been so familiar. I mean, yeah. People can look up in the sky and see the shape of a bird and know what kind of bird it is. Yeah. I I don't I can't do that, but I can quite often identify plants now with very little information, visual information, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, and I love just being in the grass looking down at what's below it, you know, trying to part the grass and look down into the dirt. And so, yeah, it's like who needs to travel, right? That whole yeah. thing about like one square foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's 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 all there. Mhm. Yeah, plenty of information. So starting there just till present day, you've just been kind of on a trajectory with your work. How has it evolved? Like, what did your work look like when your kids were young? It was pretty straightforward, um, you know, studying the plants kind of botanical stuff. A a lot less of a storyline. Like illustration almost. Yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah. Um, The very first project I did after the kids were born was a... A series of freestanding screens so they're like hinged wooden screens um pretty big there's one right there mm-hmm. those um the very first ones are just like loose paintings of flowers but by the time i did the 10th one that was the pomegranate one and it's really complex and it has a lot of different strange light coming behind the pomegranate and so just in that series of 10 but i think those took me like two and a half years to do 10 of them I changed from just the loose kind of just getting it all down on the surface to more really thematic and um, more complex um, ideas going on and that it's not just a recording of what the plant yeah. lo- looks like you know it became much more um, weighted that's an interesting canvas to choose screens like what why yeah. Well, it, I um, found an old screen in a junk store. Actually, I, I think it was on South Congress. That would have been in 98 or something. And I took it apart and wrapped canvas around the, the interior frame and slid it back in. And those, I painted um, two of them like that. I, I bought two of them. So they were on canvas, and then I really liked it, you know, just as a a way to get myself back into painting after Mm. having the kids. And so I had um, a local furniture builder build me eight more and use that, the antique ones, as uh, a sample. And um, he ended up just um, sliding panels in, wooden panels, and I had never painted on wood before, so I was a little... A little nervous, but it was great. I liked painting. I like painting on canvas, but I loved painting on wood too. So you mm. know, it, I didn't know I lo- would love it so much. But. And what happened to those panels? Were they for a show, or did you sell them? Or the, I sold all but um, this one that's sitting here. Yeah, okay. and I I don't want to sell it because it's my last sample. But I'll um, I'll probably someday have another furniture maker make me some more to paint because I love you know that you can. They're a piece of art, but they kind of, I don't know, they're furniture. It's functional. Yeah, functional. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's a few things in your artist statement that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Um, you say something that is integral to your work are stories taken from your own interactions with nature. Mm. Like maybe elaborate okay. on that a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the, there's a painting, and, and this um, goes back to the idea of evil, um, in nature, uh, there's a painting I did that's really about my son and I, and it's um, a scene on a walk that I would take with him when he was going to an early morning PE class and when he was starting middle school. Mm-hmm. And he was af- not afraid of middle school. He was reluctant to go, I guess, and middle school's hard and weird, and I was feeling um, a little bit of his fear but we would walk through this green space um and it since it was so early in the morning it was dark outside uh, he had it was before school started it was a i don't know what they called that 
it's just an early morning PE class before the actual school started. So it was like 6.30, we were walking to get him there. And um, it's dark, and it was overgrown with foliage all around. It's a um, green space that's near our house. Um, it's almost like going through a tunnel when you go on the path because the foliage is, was so overgrown and coming all around us and uh, made me think of the, the way sometimes in old cartoons from my youth, the trees would reach out and grab you, you know, yeah. and, and, um, just things like that are what could be hiding in those bushes. And, um, so I painted that scene and it's a dark blue. Um, there's no green in the scene. It's just dark blues and browns. And that was just about the fear of, of going through that passage in sort of the dark woods and bringing my son through that and mm-hmm. um, taking him to a place he didn't really want to go. And I was it was pointed out to me later that that painting um, actually looked sort of like a, uh, the vines around it coming out of the um, the woods looked sort of like an umbilical cord. Mm. So um, and I that was absolutely not in my mind at the time, but it, there was definitely a tethered kind of look of with the vines coming all out and looking creepy um, with the blue light and the darkness and everything. So that's kind of, um, I guess, what I think of, you know, how I I transport a a situation where I'm in nature and I have a little bit of the the psychological um, uh, exchange going on between me and nature and what I think about it. And and in that particular case, nature was sort of scary and um, hard to, to pass through. And the umbilical cord is, is like this connection to your son, or you're yeah. like still trying to support him yeah. through his yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. And wasn't there something about how then when you came back through, it was brighter? Yeah, yeah. When I uh, got to the other side, I mean, when I after I deposited him in, in the evil middle school, you know, <laughs> I would walk home by myself, and by then the sun would have come up a bit and yeah. it was <laughs> it was like a you know, different place an innocent little path yeah yeah, yeah. by daylight yeah oh, that's interesting so, yeah i was always relieved um in a movie when a scary movie when the when it was daylight again you know that and that yeah you know it's over <laughs> it's over for for now until tomorrow night right <laughs> <laughs> so i'm wondering if you started out with this kind of more representative style of nature then when did you start moving into this more exaggerated fantastical kind of like the colors and free, the shapes more free form free form i think um that began i'm not sure exactly when it began but it it was a natural progression from um me painting something actually sitting in front of you know sitting in front of the actual plant or tree to um painting my memories of them mm. you know because the um the peach tree um that i painted that's sort of about my daughter um it's a memory it's from memory of driving past the peach orchards in um fredericksburg and seeing how gorgeous they all were and then looking at my daughter and realizing that she um, is not going to be, I mean, every day she changes so quickly. And she was at that point um, a preteen and she was, you know, things were going to change real fast for her. And I thought about the peach blossoms and how they um, are so brief and it's so gorgeous, but um, you have to really, you know, uh, seize that moment and think about, you know, there, uh, youth is brief and yeah. beauty and um, and nature is brief and we're on this long trajectory but painting that from memory necessitated that I ad lib a lot and I tend to um, like curvy moving lines and and exaggerated colors and so it just started to evolve into more of what I felt about that tree and less about what I saw, mm. you know, so, and then, and that's the same with, um, the agaves I painted. Yeah. Just, you know, more about uh, what I feel about 
I mean, the agaves to me are always like animated, crazy. They're like a cartoon kind of plant, you know. Yeah. So I always make them all twisty and and fun, you know, and like they're waving at you, kind mm-hmm. of with, like with all their hands all at once. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. So before that, you were working in front of the plant or the yeah, tree, or you from photos, or always plain, like plain I, air, kind of? Um, I would, uh, it, it depended. Sometimes I use photos, and I still do use photos if it's important to get something accurate, you know? If it's important that the, the tree looks like a particular type of tree. But, um, yeah, before I would, I would either take a, a specimen into my studio and just sit in front of it and mm. paint, paint it, or I would go out in the yard and sketch in the yard and then bring the sketches in to my okay. studio. And so I, I like, I don't care how it all comes to me. If it comes to, to me, you know, through, um, if I, a, an idea comes and I have to go take a picture of it, you know, or I can take a picture of it, I do. Um, if I'm driving past and, yeah. I, it, you know, and I can't, don't have time to stop, I start to just rehearse the um what appealed to me in my head and try to memorize it and then make notes as soon as i get home and then you know can paint sort of from memory but those usually are the most fantastical because i it's all from my head yeah you know is there a first piece or a first moment where you kind of remember like you know what i'm just going to try to do this from my head Hmm. was there a moment like that or is it just kind of like subtle I'm sure it was probably pretty subtle, but the most dramatic is is this agave that we're looking at yeah. there. That one, um, I was drawing a lot of agaves, and I was like, "Why do I need to even look anymore? I'm just going to draw an agave, you know." And um, so it's part of my, I guess, in my psyche. That was probably the first one where I then I started saying, "Well, I know how to draw rocks. I'm going to draw some rocks. I'm going to draw, ah. you know, some." Um, different things but i several things in that painting um you know i've drawn so many times that they really are just you know part of my arsenal i guess yeah it must be i know i was just thinking about everything that there is to see in nature and just the complexity and variation and it just seems like that was must be so exciting for you to just kind of even just go to travel or go different places or even just walk around this neighborhood and just find some little obscure, unnoticed area that's hidden and just be totally inspired to create an artwork from that. I mean, it just that must be really exciting. It is exciting. Um, but it, to me, it only becomes an artwork if it has some potential for a lot of layers of meaning. Okay. You know, and, and, and also... Um, <laughs> the other thing that I sort of limit myself always to Texas, or I, I did for years and years and years, and uh, so when I travel, mm. I don't always gain inspiration. You know, I think, oh, that's nice for them, but that's not from Texas, or or that's nice. You know, that's nice to look at, but it doesn't speak to me in the same way, or I can't use it or exploit it in the same way because it's really I got to find something that it's telling me yeah. so i'm looking for some way to find layers of meaning in mm. in the um in the plants and the only exception to that is i've been going almost every year since i married brian um to lake george in upstate new york and only in the most recent years have i started to um allow myself to paint or draw or use plants or scenes from that area in my paintings. And so I started really um, simply with just sketching grass, you know, and, and because I noticed in um, upstate New York, you know, I'm from Texas, grass is not something you can sit in unless it's been manicured. And I mean, the wild grass up there, you can sit in it, and I mean, yeah, there's some bugs, but it's not like Texas where there's sticker burrs and all yeah, kinds of crazy right. stuff where you, you're not going to be lying down in that, you know. But there you walk barefoot in the grass and there's like a spongy quality to it. Like, and there's mosses and all these delicate, beautiful, ah. um, it's totally different and really um, comfortable it's also not so hot and you know so i started with the grass because i found it to be so different from texas and and the variety of of little grasses and weeds and stuff in 
any given mode spot at the the land up there where we stay is uh, fascinating you know mm-hmm. and and mostly because it's so different from texas so yeah. so i did drawings and of that of the grass and then um did some drawings of the interiors of the house there. And then most recently I did a, a waterfall scene that is another remarkable difference from how things look in Texas. The waterfall is deep in the woods and it's dark and the rocks are, are practically black, you know, they're not limestoney, they're mm. they're granite. And they have a lot of uh, garnets. Uh, um, you can actually see the little red garnets um, in the, in the rocks. It's just a whole different scene. And so, and the rocks are real. Um, they're not rounded like the river rocks here. They're they're all jagged looking mm-hmm. and sort of geometrical, you know. And so, that waterfall just was my first real painting about Lake George and how different it is. And and. And so it's a really dark painting, but it's got a crystal clear waterfall in the middle. And that was fun to paint. So it's not necessarily when you're out in nature, it's not necessarily just about the aesthetics of the scene. You're saying that like there have to be some layers of meaning there also. But did the layer does the meaning come first? Is like you're thinking of an idea and you're like aware of and looking for something to represent that or is it the opposite it's the opposite i would think Uh, um i mean i have my themes that i always want to you know to emphasize and and i'm always looking for ways to buoy those those themes and and so i'm on the lookout you know the aesthetics is never just the thing that gets me it's if there's something out there that i see that will speak to what I'm already sort of thinking about. And mm-hmm. and, um, and also, there's quite a lot of memory involved, uh, like the waterfall. We found that waterfall on a hike um, that we took with my husband's dad, who was starting to suffer from Alzheimer's. And he had been going to that same waterfall all his life, and he found it for us. And mm. um, he led that walk, and he was, you know, kind of suffering um from the alzheimer's and everyone was a little um worried (laughs) we're gonna let him you know lead the walk and um and brian my husband said yeah he knows these woods you know and not only did he take us there um i think some of the group might the cousins and stuff might have known where it was but no one you know questioned that right. his uh, he was the authority and so we went there and then on the way back and it was great and it was my first time to go to that that waterfall and uh the kids played in the in the the water and everything so we were on the way back we were like gonna go back the way we came and he's like no i know a shortcut and every, everyone is like oh i don't know should we <laughs> you know let him lead a shortcut you know at yeah. least we know the way back this way and Brian, who just adored his dad and looked up to him a lot, said, of course, we're going to follow him, you know. And so we all start following him through the woods. And uh, some of it was way off the path, you know, and he got us out, you know, and he yeah. brought brought us home. It was just a different path, but it, it could have gone badly. <laughs> but so that memory, um, and that's why that painting is dedicated to, to my, my father-in-law, who's he died several years ago. It's just memory plays a big part in when I come back to my studio, what I want to infuse in, back into the painting. So I know that it was a beautiful waterfall, but it's not about just a beautiful waterfall. It's about um, family and trust and mm. and um, and memory of that beautiful walk, you know, but... I'm probably the only one that knows that. But while I'm painting, I'm I'm definitely thinking about that and hoping that I can um, infuse that kind of depth into my paintings. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. Um, so you do do some teaching also. Yes, I I teach at Laguna Gloria. Um, usually just one day a week. Just teach painting and drawing, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just starting a leave. I'm taking a leave for about a year, but um, yeah, I, I um, after teaching in my home studio for years, just very casually, um, I started teaching at Laguna Gloria about three years ago, and uh, 
I was I think I was learning with my students how to teach I was learning how to teach while I was teaching them so yeah. I'm not a traditional um teacher I'm kind of an artist first that wants to share her um experience and and knowledge and I love um I love what I do so I feel I do feel qualified but um technique is not the first thing I teach hmm. I I usually um that being said I know how to teach technique a little bit but I really want to my specialty I guess is to help people get back in touch with their creative selves or or to explore their creative selves so that's my goal more than um, it is to help them draw a still life although I bring a still life that I um, create every time you know Mm -hmm. because I I love actually to create a, a themed still life for each class and you know they can draw it straight on or they can use their imagination about it i like to encourage that you know so we i'm kind of i guess a not a very conventional um art teacher and mm-hmm. and maybe that's to mixed results but mostly i think i have um happy students and i i teach um the painting and the drawing are just still life or or um found object kind of classes and then I also teach life drawing which I love teaching that that's um, especially to teens because it's their first experience ever drawing a life model the teens the the model wears a bathing suit Mm -hmm. but I love to um, help students um, get comfortable with drawing the human form you know is there any way that you could summarize kind of like your what you're trying to convey to these young students about creativity um, some I would guess I would sum it up by saying just listen to your in, inner voice, find you, you know you, what you want to say, and um, you know practice, 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 you know, and that you never stop practicing. You just keep getting better. That's the other thing that I always say is you don't go backwards. I mean, you might get a little rusty, but you never ever get worse at drawing or painting. You get better because it's all about experience and trying and pushing pushing through so what are some of the other things you say uh i tell them your trademark uh, uh, I, I, there there are no mistakes you know i mean it, it, people will erase and erase and erase and i'll say you know sometimes um the history of your lines are are important i i, I don't some teachers um outlaw erasers i don't go that far but i do say you know put lots of lines down then you get to pick which ones you really like you know and you can erase the ones you don't but it's really good to have a a a searching quality when you're drawing to kind of um help you get to the point where you you feel like your eyes what your eyes see is what your pencil is drawing and you need to have that continuum of um just like throwing a ball and catching it you know you it's a it's a motor skill that but you have to kind of internalize it and not think about it too much so if you're analyzing it the whole time that you're drawing you can't be free enough to just gather the information with your eyes and let it go straight through you out onto your paper so analyzing it and and judging your work the whole time is really counterproductive Hmm. so i talk a little bit about that with them you know it's hard i mean people also have a lot of phobias about drawing and they you know just to get them to relax enough to just draw it all is sometimes difficult you Mm -hmm. know so try to have fun too yeah Yeah. how has teaching changed you if at all it's helped so much it really Mm. it, it has helped me um be able to talk about my work i've been producing art for so long in isolation that um you know the more i'm i talk about art the better for me you know and it helped you know just like anytime you have to explain something again and again you learn nuances so it's it's helped me a lot i mean you know for 15 or 20 years I just did art in my studio and I didn't have to answer to anyone I didn't have to explain to anyone and when I did have to explain I was I I was put off you know like like what shouldn't it stand on its own the art and um no you know it's it's I mean I guess it would be great if my art did stand on its own and I didn't have to explain it but turns out people 
uh, it's a compliment that they want to know, so we should be able to talk mm-hmm. about it, you know. So it's helped me verbalize what I was already just in my head, you know. Yeah. I know that some of the work that you've done is kind of maybe you might consider more on the commercial graphic art side. Is there mm-hmm. like a big differentiation for you in your mind about your work that way? I think so. Um, judgment about yeah, I what's think, commercial I, I think and what's not. When I was younger, it was much more of a uh, distinction. Um, I but I was happy to sell anything, you know, or make money in any way I could with my art. So I did um, do illustrations for the Texas Observer and um, uh, you know layout um, for for other newspapers, you know, free, free papers and things like that. And then um, and I would do record covers and things like that so I I was glad to have the work you know but I definitely um was brought up to to think that there's a distinction between um commercial art and and fine art although my father actually was um he did both um especially early on in his career he you know he was an art director for a department store um and then and he drew uh, um illustrations um for the military um as his deferment you know so i had that example of um somebody uh working that way but then i always hoped that um you graduate from that and go into the fine art world mm-hmm. and um even though you always want to sell your artwork too so i don't i have um i don't think i have as much judgment about the differences now that i have when i was young Mm-hmm. And in art school, of course, you, you know, you just like it was embarrassing to even take a commercial art class unless you were going to give up fine art. Entire- out yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to, you know, even, you know, I looked the other way when I went down past that hallway at school. You know? <laughs> Jeez. I, I'm, I'm kidding. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm then, hoping uh, it's not that controversial anymore right i mean it's like everyone's just trying to do the best they can and get by right yeah yeah and you and we sell what we sell you know one way or uh, or another i um it just you know had one of my paintings chosen for the poster for the texas book festival yeah and i'm happy and thrilled you know to do it you know it's a good it's a big deal for me you know so i'm i'm happy yeah you know well something that you also have coming up soon is your show Art at Flower Hill, which is going to yes. be at the Neil Cochran House Museum. Yes. Like, tell me about that. That started almost a year ago. The work for it started almost a year ago. Um, and I became fascinated with this house um, that's now called the Flower Hill Foundation and Urban Home uh, Museum. And they haven't opened their doors yet. That's why we're hosting the show at the Neil Cochran House, um, which is another historic home, Austin home. Um, But the Flower Hill House, uh, it was built in 1877, and it was called the Smoot Mansion, or the Smoot House, because um, that's the family name. And they were the only um, family that ever lived in that house, but it was three generations of um, Austinites, and they were civil servants mostly. Um, anyway, I, I wasn't really fascinated with the people as much as that there exists still a home in Austin that um, is on land that is now all surrounded by um, practically downtown Austin. It's on 6th and Pressler. Mm. So um, it's West 6th, I believe. Yeah, that's West. Anyway, it's um, a gorgeous old home that was continuously inhabited by the same family they farmed on the land and gradually sold bits of it away it wasn't a huge parcel to begin with but there had been a creek there where pressler street actually not a creek it was a a natural lake um sort of dammed up Hmm. from a, a a spring that um you know there were lots of rocks all around it um Anyway, the land is what really fascinates me it's because it's it's now in an urban um, setting, but that is a historic, um, what is it about it? It's just, just this amazing thing that's uh, still there, that that house is there. It, it was owned by one family. They farmed there. They uh, gave um, the land that where the creek was to the city to form that street. And so there's so much history there. And I wanted to, to mostly do the, you know, 
illustrate and, and draw the plants there. But then I got fascinated with the interiors and I thought, well, how does that work with my themes? The interior of the house, which is really dark because they keep the shades drawn all the time right now um, because they're archiving and keeping, uh, you know, pr- trying to preserve things. Yeah. So um, it's dark right now and it hasn't been turned into the museum. It's going to be just yet, although they've done a heck of a lot of work. But um, anyway, I started thinking about how will my ideas work with the interior and I thought about light and air um, being my natural element that I would um, try to portray in the interiors. So shadows and the way light plays in the rooms became kind of important for my interior scenes. And then my exterior scenes are more traditional for me, plants and rocks. And um, there's some invasive species on, on the land. So I drew some of those. And anyway, the, a long story. Um, but I was fascinated about it, about this, this piece of property. And then um, I met the woman who's the executive director, um, Robin Soto, who who's just wonderful and a, um, a font of knowledge about the history mm-hmm. of the of the house. And, um, and I just, you know, I spent the last eight months making art about that house. And one of the things I did was a cranky, which is a whole other category okay. of my work, which I guess I can describe it. Yes, um, it's a um, 30 foot long illustration on paper that's um, uh, exists on a, a scroll on scrolls that are um, put into a cranky box so that you can crank it along to musical accompaniment. And, uh, I did several of these for uh, the musical project that Brian Beatty, my husband, uh, wrote, recorded, and produced. Um, it's called Ivy in the Wicker Suitcase, and that was in 2014. But um, I've grown to really like using the crankies to help tell a narrative about any particular thing, and I have new ones planned for my next show. Hmm. But um, for this uh, Flower Hill show, we have a cranky that we call um, Flower Hill Cranky Number One, and Brian wrote music for it. And um, Amy Annell is going to sing um, the voice of Miss Jane Smoot, um, the last inhabitant from the house. And Brian plays all the instruments, and I crank the cranky, and it tells the story of Flower Hill, um, how I imagined it before humans, um, or at least white humans, uh, were on the land. Mm-hmm. And then um, after uh, the houses, uh, there's scenes where the house is built, then they did some remodeling. And so there's changes to the house um, that I portray in the illustration. And uh, there's a cardinal that um, shows up in all the scenes. And um, Brian has a a bit of a cardinal song that goes along with it. And then um, Miss Smoot shows up in one scene and then the house, I don't want to give too much away, but but, but (laughs) it's the story of the house on the land and what happens to the house and it goes up to modern times. And then it goes a little bit into the future of what I imagine it will look like after the house is gone. So it's a, it's a little narrative. So this is quite different from, being shy or spending 15 years just working in your studio you're actually doing a performance yeah and you're cranking the scroll of paper as it scrolls by in this kind of like a frame yep and yep. people are watching the story go yeah. by that you illustrated or painted while the music and the songs right. are happening the key for me um, to be able to do this at all is the fact that I'm hiding behind the, oh, okay. the, 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 the cranky <laughs> itself. The very first time I did the the cranky, I was petrified to even do, you know, with the Ivy and the Wicker Suitcase performances. I was just terrified. I had to have a friend come and help me, you know, scroll it. And I was still, I was hidden, you know. But then um, now I'm, uh, Brian and I went on tour twice on the, and um, I got used to being part of the performance and I actually would sing little bits once in a while with, oh, wow. with him you know so I'm sure not very well but you know it's just you know, <laughs> on the road nobody knew me yeah. and, and so I you know so yeah it's 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 different 
for me. I still get really nervous, but but I love that um, I can't even see their faces, and I just scroll it along, and I just have to listen to for my um, audio cues. cues from Brian and and, yeah. and scroll, you know. So yeah, nice. And this is also. So it's going to be an art show, but also a fundraiser. Yes. Flower Hill um, has yet to open their doors, and they hope to open in the spring of 2019. And so we're um, trying to – a percentage of the sales of the artwork will go to Flower Hill plus um, donations at the door. There's a $10 suggested donation that will go to um, Flower Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To help with renovations yeah. and kind of yeah, they're flushing on, out the museum. Yeah, they've got yeah uh, structural stuff that they have to get done, and um, with the old house, it's it's on a hill, and it it needs it needs a lot of work. So yeah, yeah, but cool. Well, that's um, so. There's an opening reception Saturday, September first, from six to eight, with a performance at six thirty. Yes, and an artist talk and performance Wednesday, September twelfth, from six to seven, and the show closes on September fifteenth. That's right. At the Neil Cochran House Museum. It's at 2310 San Gabriel. Very cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'm excited yeah. <laughs> to see that. Well, thanks for your time, Valerie. Is there anything else you want to say? No, no. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, 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 it's, uh, it's fun to talk about my work. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's fun to be able to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues and consider giving it a review on iTunes. That could help others find it and motivate them to give it a try. At austinarttalk.com, you can visit each episode's webpage to find links related to the relevant and interesting people, places, and things mentioned by each guest. And thanks to those who have reached out with encouragement and positive feedback. I really appreciate it. All the best to you and take care. Take care.